It's Tuesday night. We've all had our tea. It's now time for the pod notes. Yes. Yes. Welcome everyone. Is we got it? in the room. Then go on. We got Flynn. Got Cugsy. Duffman. And Whiteside. And our special guest this week is Miles. Miles, welcome to the pod. Welcome. Thank you guys. So, uh, just to give Miles has kindly joined us today to talk about well, some serious subjects because uh, Miles is effectively. I wouldn't say first line of defence, but perhaps you're the first line of tackling social problems with our deeply affected youths well, in this city. Almost like a triage, would you say? Something? Yeah, it's a good way of putting it. Good yeah, way of putting it. I mean, effectively, am I right in saying that if somebody presents at a hospital in this city, mm. having suffered violence and trauma, and there's a young person, you get called in. So basically, I'm what's known as an NHS navigator. And what we do is we're a team. There's a team of four of us for the Merseyside region. And um, basically, we're a team of four and specialist targeted youth workers. Now, I've been a youth worker for 15 years plus. I've worked all throughout Greater Manchester, Merseyside. I've done every kind of youth work that you can possibly think of. And what we do is we engage with young people who present at a hospital usually in A&E but sometimes depending on the hospital really we're in three hospitals we're in Alder Hay we're in the Liverpool Royal and we're also in Liverpool Aintree Aintree being the major trauma centre for the northwest. so in Aintree we engage with young people on major trauma Alder Hay within the emergency department the Royal within the emergency department. So when a young person presents at a hospital, having been either the victim of or the perpetrator of violence, because sometimes a young person can be a victim and a perpetrator at the same time. Do you know what I mean? So for instance, there could have been maybe a gang fight or something like that. So you'd be on both sides of the, the coin there. Exactly, exactly that. You know, like a young person could have been seriously hurt, but also hurt other people as well so they're they're both and what we do is basically if we're on the shop floor um, we will engage with that young person and their family as well we'll support the family as well actually face to face at that point of crisis because as you can imagine emotions are just through the roof stress is through the roof you know really what you're looking to do is to de-escalate the situation and there's also, also some advocacy that goes on as well. So it might be that a young person has got to engage with the police and just really does not want to do that, which is very often the case. So you can also act as like a mediator, as a between, mediator the two. between the two things. So to my experience as a youth worker is that I'm really quite skilled at de-escalating the situation and then also being able to talk to a young person in such a way that I can build rapport with them and trust with them really, really quickly. Brilliant. And the more and more I do it, sort of the better there is an and better art I to get. That. We've mm. talked a little bit on our previous podcast about the police not being able to de-escalate stuff themselves, which there's an art to that. And I think some policemen are very good at it, but there's some can be a bit headstrong when they go in and not put that people might not have that life balance and they need to look at it from their perspective. I think it's hard yeah, for some people to do. Yeah, it's definitely the case. What I will say is, and, and I'm not generalising now, you can't say all young people 
think like this but i'm going to say a large percentage of young people now they don't even differentiate between uniforms they just see uniforms so so you don't if, like authority it's not it's this. not about authority it's just any uniform means you're in the police right yeah. simple you could be a postman and you plod right okay it, yeah. It, yeah. that's the way that they think so basically anybody in a uniform is not to be trusted absolutely bang you, on you've cookie. seen that bang. like there's a high amount of ambulance staff and firemen and that have been attacked particularly on bonfire nights for example mm. it's happened and the very thought of that doing that for our generation as kids was massive wasn't it you would never even dream of doing that like but obviously something's failed in society that's made that happen so do you think the respect is like a two-way street then obviously the young people are putting all people in uniforms in one category but also the police may be putting all young people in one category as 100%. well 100 percent i can't I, again you can't generalize you can't say you can't say there aren't really good bobbies out there because there are yeah but a lot of them they see that whole idea of stereotyping isn't it yeah they see a young lad dressed in black bally on yeah hood up in the one tens in the one tens and they look at it and the minute and they just put two and two yeah and part of that is a lot of kids dress like that because it's social camouflage to fit in, they have it? to fit in although that might not be their methodology of thinking Exactly. But obviously, if you don't fit in, if you were dressed in something bright orange and walk down the street in the middle of an area that was particularly rough, then it's not going to go down well, is it? Exactly. So they have to play the social camouflage card. Of course they do. Of course they do. And that's kind of the same thing as what you're finding now is that a lot of young people now are carrying knives. And, and it's the same thing. It's the same... You know concept so what you're saying is people are carrying knives not necessarily for carrying out acts of violence it's out of absolutely like young people aren't bad are they no, Do you know no. like generally they're not bad so they're not leaving the house with a knife because they're actually looking to hurt someone they're leaving the house with a knife because it's this idea of social camouflage and they think that other people may be having Maybe. knives so and then they use their knife as a deterrent for them well if you've exactly. got a knife we've got a knife like if you've got a big guy on your gang or whatever we've got a big gang that's their mentality it's not that they're actively going out to do it and then the situation escalates and that's when the knives probably exactly. do get used and it? things get out of hand don't they they run away from people the point is is that they're leaving the house with the knife nine times out of ten they've got absolutely no intention of using that knife at all but then things escalate and they get out of control and they spin out of control really quickly and then they find themselves in a situation that they really can't get themselves back out of. There's so many drivers for it. It this... sounds to me like there's a, a lot of young people who perhaps don't have tools to deal with their lack of confidence or their bad social si or living situations and then they're thrown into high-pressure situations because of the groups they're knocking around with or the places where they're forced to be. Yeah, exactly. And then it's just not a good equation, is it? It's not a good equation. So obviously we've got loads of things to talk about, Miles. You've got what is it, seventeen years experience? Seventeen years. Seventeen years experience. So if we go back, did you used to work in a pub, did you, as a bartender? So that right? what's not, your... Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's, it's not just any bartender this far. Okay. What's your origin story then? So we started actually working behind the bar when I was just turned eighteen. Was this in the No, Liverpool? this was in North Wales. Conway, Conway Morva. 
a pub called the Mulberry on Conway Mulver. It was my very first pub that I ever went to. It was a Robinson's pub. And from there, I then moved away from North Wales, where I was brought up, moved to Manchester, and then sort of moved into the Manchester bar scene. Worked Dry Bar on Oldham Street, Barson and Castlefield for Mick Hutnell. Worked numerous different bars, really, Elemental on Oxford Road. And then from there, I started to come to Liverpool, started coming to Cream. I was going to just interject there and say, was the club and scene something that brought you here? Because yeah. there was a big, both ways, it swung both ways from Liverpool to Manchester in that 90s scene, wasn't 100%. it? It was, was massive and huge. There was a period of time where we were united and we all know why. We won't delve on that, but we've some, come so far away from that, it feels, at the moment. Because for one point, the country was united for a small number of years, mm. obviously with that rave revolution, mm. but it's gone backwards again now, almost to the 70s of the football violence now. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. without football, it, it, it's strange. Agreed. I was going to Cream, I was living in Manchester, coming over to Liverpool, partying at the weekends, going back to Manchester. And then through a mutual friend, I ended up working at Cream. And I worked for Cream for a number of years, doing various different things. At the same time, I'd sort of moved from Manchester over to Liverpool. Started living here and, and I was working for Barbar. I was a bartender for Barbar, Modo. When Modo very first kind of opened in the first few years, I worked there and then Barbar after that. And also Life Cafe, I don't know if you remember Life Cafe at the bottom of Old Street. You remember that? You remember the old post office? You know, the post offices? Well, was. So I worked in Life Cafe as well there, which was the guy from Living Ventures who built Living Ventures, the living room and the alchemist and all those, you know, brands. That was his very first bar that he ever had was Life Cafe. So anyway, and from there, I just, he just built and built and built and built and built and my career built and built and built and I ended up becoming a career bartender, if you will. Worked at News Bar. I managed Pan Am on the Albert Dock. I've managed the Magnet on Harden Street. Various different bars. Um, so and, what was your motivation or your inspiration to get into this line of work now so, from that? So it was interesting really because at the point where that change came, was actually when I was kind of at the top of my game, you know? I had, my relationship with my little girl's mum broke down. And what that meant was, was that I ended up having to move back to my mum, to my folks in North Wales for a bit. And give me like, you know, that need to pay the bills, to provide, to provide, to provide. Just created the thing. spark. Do you know what I mean? Gave me the ability to kind of take a step back and just go, I think as well, the fact that you geographically you left the situation probably forces you to get off that daily working treadmill and take stock. Exactly, of, yeah. exactly. And I went back to North Wales and I thought, you know something? My, my little girl was only, she was like, what, four or five years old at that point. And I just thought, you know, I've spent all these years making cocktails for people and working for this brand and that brand and different people. But what am I doing for anyone? Like, what difference am I making, apart from giving them a nice drink? What difference am I making to anyone's lives? What am I adding to, you know, anyone at all? And the answer's really nothing at all. And I thought, no, I don't want to do that. 
it's not where so I'm, it's not what I'm about yet. Changed. So the whole thing changed, but I realized as well at the same time that obviously in order to be able to make that change, I had no qualifications, like none had left school with nothing, like no GCSEs, nothing. So I realized that I'm gonna have to go back to college and retrain, re-educate completely. Went back to college, did an access course, then went on, did my degree from there. And it, I think all in all, it was probably about five years of study, you know, the whole time sort of with having a little baby running around as well, do you know what I mean? So that was it really, that was the, the turning point the in, in, in point. your story. Yeah. Okay. Well, as a navigator, as an NHS navigator, give us a typical example of a working day for for you. I know they can vary massively, but you know, if you were to sort of summarise what could possibly happen from one day to the next, it definitely doesn't sound like a nine to five. Yeah, definitely, sure. it's not. So, it's so I know there is two parts to your job, so I just want to elaborate on that bit first because I know you are you do something of a night to do with youth work, which we'll elaborate on in a minute, but just. That sort of triage of sort of crime that you come across and you have to de-escalate and sort out parents and upset youngsters and find that equilibrium. Yeah. Give us an example of what might happen, an incident that might come in or something that sticks in your mind from the past that you could yeah. use as an example. Okay, really. so what, what we do is we'll go into the hospital. We, do, we only ever work on the shop floor for four hours at a time because it's potentially can be so emotionally impactful that to do any more than four hours would just, it just wouldn't be healthy. Drain, yeah. So we only ever work a, a hospital shift for four hours. So I'll go into the hospital, whichever hospital I'm rooted to be in. I don't normally work in Alderhey. We've got a specific navigator that works in Alderhey because Alderhey is 16, 10 to 16. I work for Luft, which is Liverpool University Hospitals Foundation Trust, right? And that's the Royal and Angie. And I'll go into the hospital and I'll sort of go in, see the guys in, in A&E. I'll say, look, you know, I'm here. I'll go to resource, the resource hub. I'm here. I'll be here till this time sort of thing. Go around, make sure everyone knows that I'm there. We actually sit within Safeguarding. The navigators sit within Safeguarding. So I'll go up to the office and it could be that like I'm sat there working away, doing my admin and stuff. And then I'll get a call through. We've got a young person who's presented then I'll go down. Very often I'll go with a safeguarding practitioner will come because the two things go hand in hand normally. We'll both go down together and I'll go in. I'll explain who I am. I'll explain what we do to them. Depending on the situation. So before I've walked into that room, I'll have a pretty good handle on what's gone on for that young person, how they are within themselves because everyone's different, everyone's an individual and different people handle things in different ways they might be losing their minds then on the other hand they might just be like it's not so you've got to get a handle on how they're presenting themselves and then based upon that i'll then go forward it's very often the case is if you've got parents there you very often find that the the actual young person's pretty nonplussed about it i'm drawing on a case at the old royal last years ago now i had a young person come in and they had been quite seriously stabbed in the leg. And I remember having a conversation with the consultant before I went in, because it, I know that sounds a bit crazy, right? But you can be stabbed and you can be stabbed. It can be stabbed where it's superficial 
and it's just a simple case of going to theatre and having it sewn back up. Or you could hit an artery. Yeah. Or having part of your bowel removed, having part of your spleen removed. You could be in hospital for weeks and weeks and weeks. So it's, it's literally luck of the draw. That's how dangerous it is. So this young person had been stabbed in the leg. Luckily missed his artery, but even still, quite severely stabbed in the leg. And I remember going into the... He was in resource and going into the cubicle there. And his mum was actually with him. And I went in, presented, told them who they were, how I could support them, you know, how we work with them, etc. And I said to him, is this something you think you'd be in? And he literally looked at me and laughed. And I was just like, wow. Yeah. You know, wow. It wasn't the reaction if you, he, you Honestly, expected. if this young person could have got his phone out and took a picture of it for the gram, he, he would have done. Wow. So... Did that, that annoy you, did it? No, do you know what it did? It actually took Sparked my breath away. No, it actually took the, the wind out of me because I came out of it and my head fell off and I just was do like... Do you don't think he, that he oh. realised maybe because of, say, the magnitude of the situation he was in? No, I, I think he knew exactly what it was and I think actually it was a, a case of I'm going to have this scar on my leg for the rest of my life and I can show me boys, do you know what I mean? Yeah, do you think he like, viewed it as almost as like... A trophy injury. Exactly, Cugsy. Exactly. Wow. A trophy injury. And but that's sometimes it's not always, but it's sometimes the mentality, mentality of, of that, yeah, that young people have. I mean, on some estates we know that it is that sort of badge of honour. And so while we're talking about that sort type of violence and that, what do you think is the root cause in our city now? Oh, man, uh, so of cause and this. I mean, you know what? I it, was going to say, I came here with the idea. We were going to sit down and have a debate and get to the root cause of that, listening to you. it just There's just a myriad of stuff, yes. isn't it? Just what would you say, like, the main ones that stand out the most? What would you say yeah, they what are? Would you if, change, you if you could change three things... Yeah, three things. Three things about society. Well, in relation to young people and knife crime. Okay, I'd change the media. Would be the first thing that I'd change because violence is sold to young people. It's a commodity that's sold. We've said this before. Right? Haven't we? It's a commodity. There's a theory that's sold. in the states about rap music I and that, isn't there? I'm yeah. going to give you a really good example of that now in a minute. Could I just Go. pop in there, Miles? So yeah. um, I was talking about this on a recent podcast a few weeks ago. And there was actually this operation called Operation Mockingbird. It was basically to push certain types of music, rap music or whatever, to become more violent and sexualizing. And that's what music's becoming nowadays. And it went from like, you had your jazz, you had your blues, and you had your rave music. And now, like, you've got things like violence being pushed in music. So is that like a big thing? So, so there's an artist. Um, you'll know all know this artist because they're a big artist called Dave, yeah. right? So we've all heard of Dave. Now Dave has a track about a year or so ago. He was in the top ten of the the charts, yeah, right? The main charts, the main charts, right? And I was on a gang violence training, and the trainer said what he did was he went, "What I'm going to do is I'm going to decipher what Dave, who is number five in." The UK chart is actually talking about in the first verse of this song. Okay, so he was talking about working out of a trap house. He was talking about being unfaithful with his with his best mate's girlfriend. Okay, for anyone at home who wouldn't know what a trap house is. So a trap, a trap house, house is. sorry. So a trap house is is basically where 
a drug gang will basically find a derelict house or they will rent a house from the residents and what they will then do is they will then sell drugs from that house so trap houses are usually used very very much in county lines yeah, yeah, yeah. so young people will be moving from the city to a rural location okay they'll be going to a trap house and then they'll be spending the next three or four days in that trap house and they'll be either couriering muling drugs or they'll actually be going out and selling drugs from that trap house so that's what a trap house is and this is what dave was talking about so and, what was he saying in so face? he was basically talking about that he was talking about murdering people he was talking about trap houses and he was talking about being unfaithful with his with his his best mate's girlfriend and and that was in the first verse of the of a of a song that dave had in the top so what, as a young person with a developer mind you're looking at that and you're thinking well he's doing that and look at the success he's having so it, it glamorizes it doesn't exactly it? But that comes back to the scar on the leg exactly doesn't it it's something that you, he's got something to back up his reality exactly and that's in like our day and age now like if we're going back we had like people like arnold schwarzenegger uh, rocky they were the role models people looked up with people who went to gym and were disciplined and now it just went to people who talk about violence so a big thing we were talking about the other week as well miles was discipline would you say that's a massive thing as well i don't know i don't know so much i i, th I think uh, discipline i mean, I mean i've got to be honest i'm not a big disciplinarian when we say discipline no Do we don't mean it forcing for instance a martial art or boxing that that type of discipline we're not talking about massive i mean home discipline can be you know cutting internet time cutting television time if you're not behaving and it starts from the home let's be honest mm. and then it carries on in school for me the curriculum isn't set good enough there's things that we should drop and put in as humanity lessons how to be a good human being how to treat other people you can drop your pythagoras learn that in university what i'm going to say is this right is that we have got a myriad of social issues, knife crime just being one of them, right? I mean, it's the hot topic at the moment, but there are a myriad of social issues that relate to young people. And for me, the main driver of, of all of those social issues is the fact that the youth service was completely destroyed 10, 15 years ago. It was completely destroyed by the, by the Tory government. They looked at it and they thought we need to cut where are we going to cut first what's not essential and in their mind it wasn't essential at that time so they cut it but that's the next generation of workers so if you're destroying that then you're not giving them the foundation stone they need to leap forward exactly so now you've got a whole generation of young people disenfranchised, yeah. completely disenfranchised they don't even know what a youth club is now when i was a kid we all i don't know yeah. about you guys but i went to a youth club and I had the opportunity to be able to engage with a youth worker. The difference that that makes to a young person to be able to trust an adult, but it's not it's not forced upon them. Everything in the, in our structure now is forced upon young people. Social workers are forced upon young people. Teachers are forced. Policemen are forced. It's, and it's then you're coming back to the uniform engagement. thing again then. Yeah. So yeah, it's not optional, it's forced it's because forced. you got to the point of no return then. So that's when 
a uniformed person is at your door as with back in the day if you had someone you had a problem with at home you could potentially just talk to this adult who was a responsible person and would guide you on the path and maybe intervene and help you but the really important part of that is is with a youth worker the young person makes the decision to engage with that trusted adult it's not forced upon them they make that decision for themselves and they either can well, they can't. So the youth club was basically a safe space, wasn't Absolutely. it, for everyone? Absolutely. Uh, so I'm going to go back to like a couple of things that we've mentioned tonight. So, Miles, you mentioned the media as a reason behind the current climate. We've spoken about uniform, more to do with the uniform of, let's just say, the uniform of the youth, the whole like black hoodie, just to blend in the social camouflage. And we've also talked about the music. I, I would put it under the umbrella of like uh, is it the grime scene which is like is all these like rappers and i think it's also you know it's the uniform the music and the media all in one which is when these kids all get together they'll create a track or they'll record themselves doing something it's uploaded to youtube to tiktok and there's the audience there where people will then run they've seen it and they run with that i think to counter that i don't think you can I wouldn't blame grime scene or drill music. No, 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 no. It's the situation that those particular people have come from. And that's what they're doing, what they know, aren't it's they? It's self-perpetuating. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? The whole it? thing so, self-perpetuating yeah. through society. Yeah. However, I would say music has actually widened the crime. And what I'm going to say by this is a lot of people now, as a grime music or drill music has become more popular, not only is it people from rough, rough neighbourhoods, but it's actually people... Everyone's f- having a pop, It's people they? from the middle class. It's people yeah. from the middle class. They're yeah. getting involved. And that is mainly what, in my opinion, it's is mad, down to the media. They're desensitised. They're de- it's desensitising kids, isn't it? It used to be 10, 10 odd years ago, 10, 15 years ago, it used to be, right, okay, you've got social issues in Kensington. Yeah. And you've got social issues in Anfield and you've got social issues in Soxtis, Right. Now, with the invention of the mobile phone, social media, it's in There's no lines anymore. It's in Southport. It's in Woolton. It's everywhere. It's just across the board. It's it's not about, it's not... Across the country as well, not just in in our city. Social deprivation is no longer a driver for violence and young people. It just isn't. It isn't. It's across the board. What about the issues then of drugs? Do you think if we legalise drugs, if you look at a lot of places like Portugal, for instance, when they legalised drugs in them areas, that it really cleaned the place up because obviously it was regulated then and there were zones that you could go to do it. Do you think that would help help the cause? Um, I think it would take a lot of the heat out of it, yeah. I do because a, a lot of it is driven. You'd Bye. shut the likes of them trap houses down, the county line stuff the down current, overnight. It would disappear. Bad people, innit? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, yeah. What, what are they going to turn their hand to then? Maybe not the youth. And then that's where we can educate. We have zones where the likes of you can go into that zone. So let's say we, you know, add a, a place, say, like down by, by the Albert Dock, a bit of, bit of land, say, like wherever we're building the stadium. Mm. I'm not saying that's where it should be. For an example, like a zone, like when you go to I'm Amsterdam. building one now, that's yeah. sure. Maybe if you don't finish the stadium, we'll use it. <laughs> but if we had a zone like that there where people could gather, it's maybe policed on the outskirts because you couldn't have Bobby sitting in there 
and the likes of yourselves going in and being able to talk and things. A lot of people get swept up in this. And it's drove underground. I think if, you know, what's the harm in, in legalizing it? I, I completely agree, to be honest with you. I completely agree. I think you would take the heat out of a lot of social unrest within our society if you were to do that. And if you look at models in other countries where that has actually happened, that's what's been the outcome. I think what young people want and how young people are, I don't want to say manufactured, but how they are sort of normalised now within our society. Kind of indoctrinated. Exactly. Is that young people want it all, but they want it all for nothing yeah without the hard without work, the yeah. hard work yeah. do you know what i mean so they want to drive around in the bentley they, they want to have the money they want to have the air jordans on they want to have all of that but they don't want to do the graft for it and because of that so what do they do but, but, the, but so t- if we were sat here in 1984 and said what's the problem with the kids you might have said well the parents are the heroin addicts but you've not actually pinpointed one problem because it is, it's, it's almost, it's, it spread so fast. This is what I was saying. Because I was, I was sitting here thinking, right, it's because the mums and dads don't spend enough time with them or they've got issues no. or, or like it's financial and all that. But it's not, it's stuff like Instagram telling it, people it, you want this car, it's but it doesn't show you how you to work to get it. Yeah. It is partly what you say. Yeah. So some of it does come from social deprivation. Some of it does come from gang culture some of it does come from selling drugs some of it does it comes from everywhere when you look at it i mean the home is completely bypassed now isn't it because of people's work shift patterns which are not good are they because the parents aren't at home maybe when they should be and then you've got the babysitter phone and then you then become exposed to these things and you the kids need the phone because they need to be up to speed with things because you can't go out and be wet behind ears at the same time because that can be detrimental as well. So it's a balancing act to try and find out. And we're in new territory. It's the Wild West. With the technology we've got with these phones, it's definitely accelerated this process massively. So it's really interesting you say that. Somebody said to me a while ago, they said, and this was in relation to bullying now. Somebody said to me, it used to be that if your child was being bullied, you'd know your child was being bullied because they'd go to school and they'd come home, they'd have a black eye, and you'd say to them, what happened? And they'd say, oh, such and such come and took me dinner off me or took me lunch money off me or whatever, right? And I'm being bullied, so you'd know, wouldn't you? Somebody said, and this was just, <laughs> it scared me after death, this. They said that your child in this day and age, your child can be bullied while they're sitting next to you on your couch on a Saturday night watching Dancing on Ice and your child could actually be bullied while you're actually sat yeah. you wouldn't even know because of the phone I was just going to go on a different point but obviously we'll circle back to that point because that's a massive point but I was going to say we are talking about the funding do you believe projects like youth workers and things of that nature need more funding because this is like just going up to like a little analogy i'm an aspiring doctor that's what i want to do so say if i'm in a hospital and a doctor doctors help people survive and help the physical injury but you are just as important because you help them mentally absolutely because mental health is just as important as physical health one thing goes hand in hand with the other if you're not mentally well you can't be physically well 
and vice versa. Mm. Okay. I think that's an important, interesting point that you make and Paul makes. However many millions of pounds Merseyside police spend every year in the war on drugs, if you took half of that budget and stuck it into youth services, I reckon you might have a lot less drug users on the streets. You, you'd have a lot less drug users. You'd have a lot less radicalisation. Yeah. You'd have a lot less, a lot less social... You'd have a lot more social buy-in. But it's not a vote winner, is it? Because like what you'd have is you'd have that 10-year period where nothing we, the, you, they would see you know drugs what it is, getting Jay? out of hand and they wouldn't be prepared for the, the fully rounded youths to come through. Do you know what it is, Jay? I'll, tell, I'll put it into a nutshell for you what it is, right? You can't control it. Yeah. You can't control it. So if you're a social worker, you're controlled. You're controlled by the policies and the procedures that you have to adhere Too to. Too much bureaucracy right? and red tape. If you're a teacher, you're controlled by... The curriculum. The curriculum. If you're a policeman, you're controlled. Okay. Who sets those controls? Politicians. Exactly. When you're a youth worker, you can't be controlled because what you deliver is you deliver a thing called informal education. And informal education is based upon the principle that the young person makes that decision to engage with you. So because they've put you in the position, you then become somebody who is trusted by them, which enables you to then unlock them and be able to get in there and help them. But in a world right? of statistics and bureaucracy, that the politicians fit. can't measure that and say we no, were that successful can't. and win votes you with can't. it, whereas it, they can win votes on arrests. Exactly. The government is not fit for purpose anymore. It needs wiping out and starting again. Everything needs to be looked at. We need to go back and nurture the young because they build the next foundations for the young behind exactly. them. And it's ridiculous that we downtrodden them because when they then have their own children, what is the next generation of people going to be like? Because that is uninformed and uneducated, that generation coming through. That, it just makes no sense that you wouldn't nurture them. You've just hit the nail on the head. That is exactly what we're faced with right now. We're faced with a whole generation of young people who have been completely disenfranchised. They've been left by the wayside because, quite frankly, as far as the powers that be are concerned, they're not important. They weren't important. And then, all of a sudden, everyone's running around with their hands in the air going, oh my God, young people are stabbing each other and our knife crime statistics have gone through the roof. And oh my God, what are we going to do? It's so easy for us <laughs> to sit here. It's so easy for us to sit here, but imagine you're 16 and... Your mum and dad aren't doing something. They might not even be together. They're not wealthy. You haven't got any qualifications. The best hope you've got is a zero-hour contract in a fast food restaurant. There's not a lot to lose. Do you know what, though? There's not a lot to lose. Do you know what? There, there, like is, there is something that people can do, right? And I, I know people work hard. But you're made of something steely and strong. And we've all done it. And I've done it for years. I was a football coach for years. And I give up so much of my time for kids. And I knew that every kid couldn't go on holiday and couldn't have the best life. And when they come with me, they had the best time ever. And I always made sure of that because I knew that situation. If a lot of people more stood up like you, stood up like me, stood up like all of us who do stuff all the time, the world would be a different place. But people are complacent. They want to sit there and they want to watch Netflix. They don't want to get out the comfort zone. But when you do get out the comfort zone, massive things are forged. We say it all the time on this show. 
and that's the difference. You need to get off your asses, people, and do something about it. Do something about it, exactly. And do it for free. Don't you, what you get back, you'll get it back. It's like gardening. You sow them seeds, and you'll get the you'll get the growth. When I explain what I do for a living to people, right, they, every single time I get exactly the same response. They go, "Oh my God, wow!" Rather you than me. I couldn't do that job. Wow, that's crazy. That's a mad job, right? And they go, why'd you do it? Why, why'd you do what you do? And I always say the same thing. And, and it might sound a bit cheesy, but you know what? It's the truth. The reason that I do what I do, and I don't get paid a lot of money for it, is every once in a while, and it, it's, it's once, and when I say once in a while, I mean it's once in a while, I can actually turn a kid's life around. And how many I people can, do they affect going forward? Exactly. Many, I can yeah. make... a. I, I, and I've done it it's the butterfly effect it, it, as well it, it, and it spreads out I've done it I've taken young people who have been in really really awful situations and I've actually turned their lives around and I've referred them in and they've gone on to do college construction courses etc etc and then I've taken a step back and why do I do it I'll tell you why I do it because I've took that step back and I've gone oh my god there's no money can buy that feeling yeah, no, there's no, there's no money. So, you know, you obviously must get involved in quite a lot of cases. Do you ever find that you take your work home with you sometimes? Where, like, you've, oh. you've, is it hard not to get more, especially as a parent, more connected to certain victims, it's, as it were? It's funny, Cugsy, because I was talking to somebody about it, a professional about it yesterday. It's funny the cases that get you. They're not always the cases that you think would get you, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It's strange the way the mind works. I probably had about three or four cases last year where certainly one of them out of the three, they all three upset me quite badly, but one of them absolutely, well, it stopped me working. It was that bad. I was that emotionally kind of... I don't even want... Damaged, drained, really drains. Yeah. Like it, it, it really, really took the wind out of my sails to the point where I had to take time off work. Now I'm well supported within my role, very well supported. I have safeguard and supervision from Alder Hay. I have psychological supervision and support through Alder Hay. I, I, I'm extremely well supported, but even with all that support, the trauma that was involved in certainly that one case, even with the support, it stopped me working. I was off work for about three or four days. I think it's probably important so, for you at times to take a break from it because well, it's like some of the police that work on the, like, the paedophile cases, that must be absolutely harrowing. You know, you must take a break. I would, I would be a big advocate of you taking a break. Yeah. But again, you take a break and who fills your shoes and well, you probably well, feel that way when burn. you're not there yeah, yeah, yeah that's it if you're not there to step in I mean that must be I, a very I, big burden to be honest it, it's so weird because I've done this for quite a long time I've been a youth worker as I say for a very long time I've worked I've done uh, detached youth work in Ben Chilling with Ensure I've worked with all the gangs in Manchester central Manchester Piccadilly Gardens I've worked along the gay village with young people, rent boys, etc. 
I've, I've done all sorts of outreach and stuff like that. So I've got a massive amount of experience behind me and I've seen some horrible, horrible things happen, right? I went into this job because in my mind, as a youth worker, you, you want to push yourself forward and I've done pretty much everything that is to do. And when this came up, I'd never heard of it before. And when this came up, I thought, oh my God, like this is like the pinnacle. If you're a, if you're a youth worker, right, being yeah. a navigator, it, it's the absolute pinnacle that I want to do this. When I went into it, obviously I had a lot of experience behind me, but it didn't prepare me for what I was walking into. It was a shock to the system. But then it's so strange how, again, how the mind works. You become desensitized. Over time, you see things, you think, oh my God, it, that's just mad. The things that people do to each other, the sheer disregard for humanity is 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 mind-blowing and and then all of a sudden it just kicks up a gear again and it just gets worse and you just think how could it possibly get worse and then it just does for me i'm good at visualizing the future and i can see where it needs to be done it needs to be done now at that root level the investment needs to be put back into the youth it, it's what, so glaringly obvious. Hundred percent. What we need, right? In a nutshell, is this: we need the government to reinstate a statutory youth service nationally, so that in Halewood there is a youth club, in Huntscross there is a youth club, in Speak there is a youth. There already is a youth club in Speak, to be fair. But you get my point. In Toxteth, there's a youth, every single area then, has a youth club, yeah, and right? then you let them areas interact. You do sports tournaments yeah, say for example inverted you get the local bobbies involved exactly you know that there's people out there who are good and that you can trust exactly. for the start you give the young people in every area the ability and the opportunity to be able to go into a youth club and engage with a youth worker who's delivering informal education who if they're having a hard time at home they can talk to if they want to talk to but they don't have to but if they want to yeah it's, you it's, with me? i think it's about self-worth isn't it because the, it, the kids who don't have self-worth they're the vulnerable ones exactly they're the ones that people prey on yeah because as well a lot's made of in this city especially is boxing clubs and they do an amazing job but not every kid likes boxing it could be a bit daunting for them do you know what i mean so i believe that with knife crime with any issue we've talked about it's better to go by a bottom-up approach. And what do I mean by a bottom-up approach? I mean, it starts with you. At me personally, I live with this one quote and it's, it only takes one. And that it only takes one match to start a whole forest fire. That's just a metaphor. It only takes one person to change the so whole world. So one man can make a difference. So if you start making a change, it'll start getting up and getting up and getting up and getting up. And then the politicians will have to change it. That's what I believe will make a change. I mean, given the youth of voice, I mean, Miles, I think you could do a podcast. I really do. I think what you could do is you could get one of these juice sensors. I think you could have a setup like this. I think you could give young people a voice and then you could take that voice and you can publish it. I think that would move forward mm. so well, mate. I think that's something you should really have a nice thought one, about. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you used a word there about becoming desensitised. Now, we've spoken about this, like, on our old podcast in the way that what we consume from the media for our entertainment purposes is glorified violence, the glamorization of... Like you know, Jeffrey Dahmer, for instance. Yeah, you know, sexual acts yeah. against 
you know, both sexes. And it's it that's on as like as our entertainment. So we now see certain things going on around us and it's just like mm, yeah. It's no longer it's, it's no longer there. like of shock value because you're seeing it for your entertainment every single day. It's funny you should say that. Because you just made me think about I was in a meeting yesterday and somebody said to me that young people will refer to other young people and they will say, Oh, yeah, yeah, such and such got stabbed. Oh, did you hear about such and such? You got stabbed. Oh, yeah, he's dead. Oh, and by the way, did you see such and such on TikTok? That was mad, that dance that they did. Did you see that? It's like it's nothing. It means nothing. Wow. Normalized. I was going to touch on the TikTok thing there. I know China gets a bad press, but is it getting a bad press for a reason? I know there's talks about control and stuff and other human rights violations and all sorts going on, but I do know their TikTok is only full of educational stuff. They're not allowed to watch any of that shite. It's all about team structures and educational videos and building stuff. So it's and just it's so pos- funny that, that that's what their TikTok is, but they push- our TikTok yeah. is a whole different thing. Yeah, so why is ours? No, because it's owned by China. That's what they're doing. They're making their kids more intelligent and they're pushing violence on exactly. us because it's a China-owned So company. why aren't our government just looking at that? Just in It's the simplest format ever. Why don't we just do that? You're not allowed to do all this bullshit, or you've got to have some sort of verification system to be able to go on it. They've talked about it with the porn, haven't they, for instance, for the kids getting exposed to that from an early age. That's another mm. thing we could address, but absolutely. I'm not going to do that now. But um, it's absolutely huge. It lands at the government's feet. Every time you look, every door you go through, the final part is the government. It's them who need to sort it out. 100%. We can shout from the rooftops, but the system's set up to fail. Get out we think we have a choice, but it's all an illusion. Get out and not and until society wakes up at once and stands up together and says, no, we've seen it. It's We've all woke up recently. A lot of us have woke up. And until we stand up together, and maybe it's coming, I believe Flynn's generation are going to change the world. I really do. I've got faith in them. I think they're well overdue their revolution. 100%. And it's going to come. Come on, kids. And well, the streets are going to be on fire. Absolutely. And they talk about the Great Reset. It's them who's going to reset it. You watch. Watch this. In the next and 10 years, it'll be done. I look forward to the day. I look forward to the day. Something's got to give. You can look at it. There's so many different examples of it within society now. You only need to look at what's happening to our NHS right now to yeah. see... The, that's a case in point of what you've just said why do our governments turn a blind eye to what the chinese do or the way in which the chinese well look at how much chinese money's in this country they're all bought aren't exactly they? it's, a, it's a typical so, you can't pay the postmasters that absolutely travesty of justice what happened to them poor people but you can find billions of pounds for your peers to have PPE contracts. Are you exactly. messing me? Yeah. Imagine if they put that much money into the youth services. Exactly. In another 10 or 15 years, we'd, exactly. be, we'd be the top place. We wouldn't in, have, in we Europe. wouldn't have, if you had, I'm not saying you wouldn't have it, you wouldn't have knife crime if you had a social, you know, a youth service, a, a statutory youth service. You'd have it, but it wouldn't You'd have it, far, it would wouldn't it? be the same. You've got to think about that. A young man who was not even 20 years old walked into a stadium with a backpack full of explosives on his back, right? He came from central Manchester and had there been a youth, I'm not, I'm just saying, had there been a youth centre in Longsight 
There was a youth centre in Longsight, but they closed it. Had there been a, a youth centre in Longsight, you have to ask yourself, would he really have been radicalised to the point where he did what he did? And maybe he didn't even part of that. He'd appreciate the people around them more and not want to destroy them. Exactly, because he'd feel part of a community. Well, the fact is, he would be less likely to be preyed upon. Exactly. Those people who are looking to prey upon the weak and the vulnerable, they've they, got, they, they haven't just got that kid's look, content they, with they, have they? They've got all the, the, the service, in, all the people in, looking in out for that child. To, in relation to radicalisation, what's the number one thing you've got to do to radicalise anyone? You've got to isolate them. Yeah. And if a young person's going to a youth club, they're not isolated. They're friends. And then, <laughs> and then a, when they don't turn up to the youth club, people are going alarm bells start yeah. ringing. And it's a network. Like, you know, we talk about businesses and we talk about everything. We're doing it now ourselves with the podcast. We've been networking, haven't we? Yeah. So we're like getting people in from the local community to tell their stories. And then people who've come on have started to integrate with people. For instance, we had Joe Power and the Purple Olive together guys from manchester mixing with the psychic we've had yoga teachers mixing with gym people getting jobs that way and it's making them connections and that what the youth network would do it's a youth network isn't it absolutely for, for instance and there absolutely. is things they can do maybe we're talking like oh technology and phones or maybe the, we should be encouraging them to come to these places and they've got a place where they can podcast they can video they can use the technology for good rather than bad i mean there are organizations out there now the, the government's all of a sudden has started in the last sort of five, four or five years, they have started to pump money back into youth services. There are some fantastic youth services out there now. But what I'm talking about is I'm talking about a statutory youth service. So a youth service that is that is part of the local authority. It's part of the remit of every local what, authority. What was the thing when you used to have to go in the army? What was that called? National, national service. National service. Maybe we need like a, a national service, but on a youth level. So you're sort of mandatory like to mix mandatory with your peers. cadets for everyone. Yeah, yeah. It's, so it's almost, a bit like you go to school. You're supposed to go to, or you're supposed to be so educated. You do that. And there should be a something that means yeah. that your kids mix. The, the yeah. curriculum. I mean, we're talking about youth clubs. A school's a youth club. Why don't we make the school into one day a week in the youth club? You're telling me that wouldn't work. You it know, would, you're, you're it absolutely would work, but what would that what would that require to do that? That would require some common sense. No, it would require a loss of control. That's yeah. what it would require in order to do that. So you're gonna have to release the grip. Yeah. That, that that's on young people and on kids well, it's now. like the apron strings isn't it the government are like scared to let people go answer me this right my my daughter's 16 she's just done her, her gcse she's studying her a levels now right and she's amazing right she's so good at sociology she's so good at, at english she's amazing she wants to be a journalist but she didn't pass gcse maths okay so she comes to me the other day and she's like we having to reset and she says to me, Dad, she says, Dad, oh my God, she said, like, the level of the algebra that I'm having to do now, she's like, I, 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 it's just on another level, can you help me? So I say to my daughter, babe, I wish that I could help you now, but, you know, I can't, because I've got absolutely no concept. I, if you set me in front of a GCSE math paper now, I would sadly fail. Now, what bearing on life Unless you're a designer or you're an architect, what bearing on life does algebra at that level have? What, what, on what planet do young people need to be put under that amount of pressure? What, what's the point? 
you know that's funny that because i'm the same age as your daughter now yeah. and i've got friends who were say they're doing a joinery course or they're doing a trade yeah and they didn't pass gcse maths so they have to retake it even though it's got nothing to do with what they're with gonna what they're do doing. yeah the stifle and the creativity already it's just absolutely ridiculous it's like math seems to be the be all in it they're obsessed with the it, be yeah. all and end all of like getting on in life but they don't I, teach I, I, you financial education you can go you can have gcse maths and get yourself a 10 grand clan at the same time yeah, mad in it. No, he, crazy. Home economics as well. We said it before. No, he, yeah. who, 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 basic who life sets skills. That? Yeah. Who, 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 who decides, decides that? Who that's decides that that's that, that yeah. that's the way that things should be? Yeah. yeah. All right then. So Miles, I know we, it's it's going on a bit late now, isn't it? So little bit about you, your street work of a night. You've, Okay, so uh, I'm also. I am, yeah, I want to rephrase that one. He did say just hanging, get paid a lot. There's <laughs> a lot of hanging around yeah. on the streets. Yeah. Paul offering to be your pimp. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, what I do is I'm a couple of nights a week. I work part time for Nosley Nosley Detached Youth Service. So basically, uh, I'm out on the streets of Nosley, usually in the Halewood area or in the Heighton Village area as part of a team we're always out in twos or threes and i'm out engaging with young people who are out on the streets the difference between a youth worker and a detached youth worker is a youth worker engages with young people in a youth center in a youth club a detached youth worker engages with them in their environment so they're in a youth club the young person's in your environment they're on your turf. yeah so you're more likely to encounter the ones who don't want it yeah exactly detached youth worker you're in their environment yeah, you're on their streets and you're going out and you're engaging with them and you're trying to get them involved in project work, going out on trips, like we'll take them to watch the footy or we'll take them out for some food. We build those relationships with them. We, yes. we also, you know, we also engage with the local authority, obviously, and the police as well to a certain extent around antisocial behavior orders and things like that if you've got an area where you've got young people that are there's a high level of antisocial behavior orders being issued by the police there's a, an antisocial behavior issue in an area the police are very often approaches and say can you go in and it's not that we're the we're not the young people police you know what i mean we're not in there to do the police's job for them exactly the opposite what we're there to do is we're there to engage with young people talk to them what is it that they want what, you know how how can we make things better for them are you ever met with hostility some very often a lot of young people are sadly quite skeptical of you in the first instance because you're an adult we do our best obviously we have a, a uniform so we but the uniform's not really a uniform so we always wear like blue so big blue coats and we'll have detached youth worker on the back We'll have our IDs on. So you, they know that we're detached youth workers sort of thing and any, and members of the public as well because you've got to realise that you're going out and talking to kids in the community very often. You, If you weren't in, didn't have anything You'd be on, on a say, register. You'd be on a register, <laughs> exactly. What are you doing talking to them kids? You wouldn't. Yeah. So you need to be clearly identifiable, but at the same time, you're not doing yeah, it. They, you don't got to make it feel like you're infiltrating them. It's, not about, it, it's about it's about engaging with them it's about building that trust that relationship that, that professional rapport, rapport that, that yeah. relationship with them 
It's about consistency, time after time. They they know that you're there. They know who you are. And then as you do that, and as that 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 relationship grows and the trust grows, then you can start to really work with them. It's that word trust. It's such an important oh, thing. It's massive, it's, it's it's a massive part of life. Massive. If you can't live your life with trust, you're just not gonna you're not gonna advance yourself exactly. at all because you're yeah, always right. gonna have like an agenda against virtually everything. Yeah, absolutely. But sadly, you know, is the case for a, a, quite a lot of young people nowadays. A lot of young people live their lives without trust. Get out, your com- get out your comfort zone, kids. Do you know it's what I mean? That, you're, you're Indiana Jones on that ledge. You've got to take that leap of faith with the trust and it'll reward you. It's getting out your comfort zone again, isn't it? That was brilliant, that. Absolutely brilliant. Superb. Oh, what's this? Oh. <laughs> He loves a bongo. <laughs> I've got so I've got bongos for Christmas. I know well. That's not me though. I'm way off that. Get them out. And it's lost that in music. That really bad. <laughs> it's lost in music. So guests going first. Wow, Miles. So, much. so take so much. take the floor. Okay, so my lost in music. When I was asked for this, um, I, oh, I went backwards and forwards. There's so many. I'm I'm a massive, a massive music massive dude. music head. Anyway, I've been a vinyl DJ for like thirty years. So it was like, oh, what's what's the tune, right? I went through a few different things, but I always come back to this track because this is a track that's an it's an old track now. So I didn't need it well over thirty years old, I think, but. I think in the title, Lost in Music, I get lost in this track every single time I hear it. And every single time I hear it, I hear something different. And I must have heard this track hundreds of times in my life. This is just magic to me. It is Massive Attack, Unfinished Sympathy. I like the way you went, we're talking about gang violence, you went with Massive Attack as well. (laughs) Well fitting. I must track this as the boss man. It's just beautiful, man. It's just beautiful. Didn't she end up stalking Pete Tong, Shara Nelson? Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 Oh, he had an injunction mad. against her. And that. Could have been oh worse. It could have been Tim Westwood, couldn't it? Could have been. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Duff man, you're up next. Um, because it's yesterday was Blue Monday, weren't it? It was like the most depressing day of the year for people, apparently. So I've tried to go on a positive tip and I've gone with Steve Silk Hurley higher. Skeltery, that do you know oh, what I mean by that? Uh, it's a yeah. beautiful track, yeah. So, mine is where I went in a little bit of a deep dive into a, 
an artist. My track this week is Never Gonna Give You Up by Patrice Russian. Oh, I thought you were going to say Rick Ashley then. Oh, so Patrice Russian at uh, Southport last week, last year. Still got it. Can't go wrong with a bit of funk. If this was playing on the streets of Liverpool now, no one would be doing anything to each other by dancing. Maybe that's the answer. This perfection. Oh, Flynn? My song is a belter. It's Go Your Own Way by Fleetwood Mac. Weirdly, I went to a wedding over Christmas and they played this. I thought it's not really a very wedding vibe, is it? Not knowing the background of a song either. <laughs> Like, I was gonna go with something funky as I always do, but I thought I'd go with something a bit more fitting with the topic we were talking about tonight, which is Lewis Dunford's. Ballad for Benjamin. Do you know what that song is about? So uh, Ben Kinsella was famously killed in 2008 in a knife crime in London. He had a famous sister who was off EastEnders, yeah. And um, it, this all escalated from being in a club with a gang and what are you looking at? And it escalated into Ben being stabbed and ultimately losing his life. And he, I think he died in in uh, Lewis's arms and Lewis suffered with his mental health and Lewis's mum was also a famous actress Linda Robson from Birds of a Feather and uh, I thought it was quite fitting track to what we're talking about tonight it's a very emotional track and I urge everyone to have a good listen to it so Ben was just a boy walking home But then they came running through the night Three boys in the dark wearing hoods Holding knives and they see Ben On his own Walking home And so a 16-year-old boy lays down In the dark yeah, quite an interesting story. He was out celebrating his GCSEs with his friends. Uh, they were all, you know, about to leave school and stuff. And it's a really sad, emotional story. I've a little look into it. I've done a little bit of homework before I come on tonight's show, mm-hmm. and I just thought it was very apt, apt for, yeah. for tonight anyway. So that was Lost in Music. Shout out to him. Firstly, I just want to shout out Miles for coming on. Yes, yes. thanks for coming on. Miles has been a fantastic guest. Thank you so much. But also, I want to move on to someone who was quite close to me in school. Mr. Brady, his name was. He was the assistant head of the year. And I found out that this week he'd passed away. Oh, and 
he was 48 years of age and so young. And he was so close to me and my friends. So I just want to say, rest in peace, Mr. Brady. And I hope all his family and school community affected is okay. Big influence on the children. Well in. Rest in peace, Mr. Brady. Along the same lines as uh, what Flynn's just done there, I'm going to give a shout out to uh, an old friend of mine called Brian Stevens. And we left where I work a couple of years ago. Um, we kept in touch for a bit when, once he left. And it was just one of those, obviously, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And he popped into my head the other day and I messaged him. And he turned around and he said, I haven't been too well. Hope to be better soon. And I actually rang him yesterday. And his voice just didn't seem right. And I said, Brian, is everything okay? And he handed the phone over to his wife and she explained to me that he's just been diagnosed with dementia. And then I said something during our conversation and he laughed. He had this like really big boom and laugh and his wife turned around and said, I haven't heard that laugh for a long, long time. Can you keep in touch with him? So I'm going to give a shout out to Brian. On a serious note though, Talented to take lines made mushroom and creatine because they hydrate your brain cells as well and helps cognitive function massively. Or it might stop the deterioration, who knows? I'll speak natural to you about remedy that. as well. Yeah. Duff. Shout out to everybody who's listening, Miles, obviously, for coming on. Crypto Kevin, the Isle of Man. Yes, Kev. Always Crypto Kevin, the Isle of Man. I didn't buy that Bitcoin when you told me to. Devastated. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, looking forward to seeing everybody over the coming months. Southport crew, Jimmy Allen, um, all the plants for Jazz Massive. So, yeah, thanks to everyone who's listening. Yeah, I'd like to say I've got a few new ones, but new, newish listeners, but a few people who've plowed through. Jay Kendall sent me a lovely message saying he always recommend the podcast to everyone. And That's a all... nice message from Coley as well. Yeah, and they're Coley. really enjoying it. I've had some messages off Coley as well. Also, Karen Sinnott, one of Justine's best Sinnott, mates. Nice yeah. one, Karen. I How would never in a million years have thought she would listen to the Tripe I Spout. And oh, she's made she's up. She's loving it. She's plowed through the lot. Alan Friday, yeah. seen him at the tip the other day. He's all over it. He's loving it. Diane Keneally, massive fan of the show. David Ashton, he's sharing his, all our stuff on Facebook. Thank you, guys. Thank you for yeah, all your support. Thanks to everyone who shares it because it helps the algorithm. Yeah, and I would like happens. to say on that point, if you could follow us on Spotify, leave a comment in the comments on Spotify. It'll say what you think about this show. If you can share, like, and comment on our Facebook, it helps with analytics and it will help us move on with bigger and better projects because we have got some absolutely mind-blowing stuff this year in the pipeline it will be huge and miles over to you uh, first of all i'd just like to say thank you to all you guys for inviting me on it's no problem really really boss but i'd like to give a shout out to my friend alan uh, he's not had the best time recently he's had a bit of a tough time recently but my friend alan he's just one of those guys you know like one of those guys that just makes you happy and makes everyone else around them happy, like spreads the love, do you know what I mean? Well, in Alan. And, and, and I just wanted to say, yo, big ups to Alan, like, definitely. Thanks for now. Thanks for listening. It's a cold, icy Tuesday night, and that was the Pod North. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thank, Thank you. you.